Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And just everyone who is out here this day is here to worship you. Everybody has a story. Every one of us have things that we bring into this building. But Father, when we bring it in here to this building, we can release it and let it go and let you have it. Father, your word says that we can lay all of our cares and burdens upon you because you care for us. It's in First Peter. And Father, we're going to claim that promise today. We're going to drop every one of our cares and burdens at the cross. We're going to leave them with you because we know that you love us that much. And you asked us to. And I'm going to ask everyone in here that as they do that, that they don't take those cares and burdens back upon them. That we leave them with you, Father, and let them go and let them stay there. And so, Father, as we worship you, each heart is here today to sing your praises, to pray, to be uplifted, and most of all, just to worship you for what you've done for us through your Son. May your Holy Spirit be here so that he can help us to understand your word. May your word be alive and powerful this day and sharper than a two-edged sword. May it pierce even to the dividing asunder of our soul and our spirit and the joints and the marrow. Father, may it sink deep into us so that it becomes a part of us. When we eat food, it becomes, they say, what you eat is who you are. Well, this is the manna of life. And may this word of God that we're going to ingest today, may it go to every part of our being and strengthen us in you, Father. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Oh, it's good to see everybody. You know, uh, winter made one last stand, and we had to spring forward today and change our clocks and change our time. And, and as I thought of that, I thought, you know, speaking of time, man, doesn't time seem like it's getting down to those last days? It really does. And, and I'm not just saying that. It, it really seems like things are moving swiftly into these areas. And um, well, we, need, we need to know what the Lord would have us to do during these times, don't we? I want to share with you a message today that talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he's hidden right here in these scriptures in Zechariah chapter 6, if you would turn there. We started there last week, and man, we had fun, didn't we? We was unpacking about those different four chariots and all of the different colored horses that was there and the two mountains that they came out from between and they were uh, brazen mountains. And we discussed all of that. And then we stopped right here at the end as they was going forth. And we, and we, we stopped at verse 9. What we, what we need to know is, is that all of these things in the Old Testament, that they were written for our learning. We're going to find out in a little bit they were our schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus Christ. That these things actually happened and took place in, in 518, 516 B.C. But they are a pattern of things that continue happening all the way through time, through our lives, and that they are for us today. They have a special meaning. And that's what we want to know. We want to uncover those spiritual truths and those patterns of evidence and see how they apply to us today. You know, God 
is looking after his word to perform it. And he is waiting to do that. And I don't know how long he's going to, to wait. But it's our duty to study these things carefully. And, and then to make those applications to us. So let's read together the entire chapter of chapter 6 of Zechariah. And then we'll come back and only talk about the part that we haven't covered. But I want us to see everything in the full context. Man, this is a mighty chapter. It's powerful word of God. And it's got a lot of stuff in it. Listen to this. Zechariah said, and I turned... And I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold, there came four chariots out from between the two mountains. And the mountains, they were mountains of brass. And in the first chariot, I saw red horses. And in the second chariot, I saw the black horses. The third chariot had white horses and the fourth chariot had grizzled, speckled horses. And I looked at the angel and I said to him that talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And we said, that's a good question. We wanted to know what they are too, don't we? You know, it kind of reminds me of Revelation chapter 6 when them seals are popping and the first horse and the second horse all the way to the fourth horse rides out. And that's what he wants to know. What are these? What does this mean? What's happening here? And the angel answered me and he said, these are the four spirits of the heavens. And we, we use the scriptures to determine that those were angels. And he says, they are going forth from standing before the Lord of all of the earth. Man, that's a, that's a huge thing. Because a lot of times God puts himself in here as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel. But here he says, the God of all the earth. So that means it's not only for Israel. It's not only for a certain person, but it's for all of us. What he's getting ready to talk about is, is worldwide and happening. And he said, this is before the Lord of all the earth. The black horses, which are therein going forth, they're going to the north country. And the white go forth after them. So both of those are heading to the north, one after the other. And then he says that the grizzled are going forth to the south countries. And then the bay went forth and sought to go that they might walk to and fro through the earth. And the Lord said to him, go, get you hence and walk to and fro through the earth. And so they began walking to and fro through the earth. They're looking for salvation. They're looking for souls that are going to be saved. That's what those horses are going to and fro looking for. They're looking for those who are coming to Christ while all of these other things in the world are happening. You know, a lot of times that as those things happen... God says in Romans 8, 28, and it's a promise that I apply to everything in my life. He says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, those who are called according to his purpose. And so he says, not everything is good, but all things I can take and work them towards good. So whenever there are wars and rumors of wars and whenever there's, there's high prices going up, God can take those things work on a heart of a person and get them to where they start seeking the Lord. And that's what these horses are doing. They're going out there for those who are beginning to seek. And they're walking to and fro in the earth and God doesn't want to miss one of them. And he cried upon me and he spake and he said, Behold, those that go to the north country have quieted my spirit. And that sounds like a good thing, but that, what that means is, is he's took care of business. He, he accomplished what he set out to do in the destruction of that north country. And now my spirit can be quiet and no longer contend with these things. So now we get into our new stuff. And it says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, So after these visions, 
That was the last vision in all of these set that we've been seeing since chapter 1. And so the word of the Lord came to me at the end of these. And he says, there's going to be some people from the captivity. So Israel had been in captivity for these years. Uh, 70 years and, and now it's been even more since they were told that they could go back. But there's going to be three guys coming to you of those of the captivity up in Babylon. Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah. And they are come from Babylon. And when they come to you, I want you to take them that same very day. That day, I want you to take them. And I want you to go to the house of Josiah, who is the son of Zephaniah. And I want you to take the silver and the gold and make crowns. And set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and sit upon and rule upon his throne. He shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crowns that you're going to make shall be to Helam and to Bijah and Jediah and to Hen the son of Zephaniah. It'll be now for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. And they that are afar off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord. And ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you when those things happen. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord. Wow. Isn't that a great chapter? You want to know what all the rest of that means? I don't know. No, I'm going to try to tell you. I'm going to try to tell you what the rest of all that means. Man, that is something. So, after the vision ended, that, that wrapped up all eight of the visions that we've had so far and studied. And now the word of the Lord comes to him. That's going to be like the road map. That's going to be the, the word of the Lord telling them what's going to get ready to happen. What all of these things have led up to and Israel's direction. But it's also a spiritual road map for us today like we was talking about. It has, if God put it into his word and he said that it's a, it's a spiritual thing for all of us that it's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It is, think of that. These words should bring us to Christ. What's in them about Jesus? Because he can be seen on every page. And it also says that it's written for our learning. So what do we need to know? What is this pointing to for, for you and I? Well, Zechariah is being given an errand. Now that he's been given all of these visions. And the word of God has given him an errand. That he's going to have to go and to do. And it's a marvelous vision that's going to be revealed to us. He, what Zechariah is getting ready to do is an enactment of what's going to happen at the very end of time when the Lord returns and is crowned uh, to take back his kingdom. It's going to be the fulfillment of the entire biblical drama that the word of God has written about. The time that the Lord returns and he's crowned as king of kings and it, he will also be, he is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he is going to be sitting on the throne as priest and king. And he will be reigning there. And that's great news for us who are in Christ Jesus, isn't it?
Because the one that we serve and the one that we are in, he shall be king and priest over the entire world. So let's go back up to verse 9. So here the word of the Lord came back and said, Three gentlemen are going to be coming to you from Babylon. And they are Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah. And you see these men, from, from what I am told and from what I have studied, that a lot of the Jews, they had stayed there whenever the decree had went out. And Nehemiah was told you can go back and build the wall. And Ezra was, was given that commission and they went back. This is several years later. This is like 20 years later. A lot of people stayed there. You remember Babylon was one of the seven wonders of the world. It had those hanging gardens. It, it had been, even though the Medes and Persians had came and overtaken the kingdom of Babylon, they retained it there. They made a headquarters there because it was so beautiful and it was in a, in a great spot. And when the freedom came, most of these people had never known anything else except Babylon. I gave you the, the uh, story one time of my chickens. They've always been in the pen for a while as I was raising them. And so whenever they got old enough that I needed to move them to the other pen and you opened up the gate, they didn't want to go out. They had never known freedom. They had never known that they could wander out anywhere. They only knew their little world that they had had growing up, and they didn't want to go nowhere. And that's the same. I had to shoo them out and get them in there. And that's the same way with, with these Jewish people who were in Babylon. They had grew up there for 70 years. It was all they knew. Back home, that had been cast down. There was trees growing everywhere and weeds, and it was a desolate place. It was going to have to be rebuilt. And they're saying, well, we can have our business here. And like most of the time, the Jewish people prosper wherever they're at, and they become businessmen. And these people wanted to stay where they already had their homes, where they were familiar with, and they were being prosperous. They didn't want to go. But the word of God was given a warning. I'm sending my horsemen in here. There's going to be some more judgments coming. You need to get out. But most of the people was staying. But three guys, their hearts began to turn toward the Lord. And they began to realize they needed to leave. And so now they are leaving and coming. And they're coming over here to uh, Zechariah. And he says in verse 10 that these men that are coming out of Babylon and leaving, like I had told them, they've came to me. And my word, and they're doing what I've said. So when they arrive, they're going to want to make a donation to the rebuilding of this thing. And so when they arrive, take them that same day, that very day, and go to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. And they'll, they'll have silver and gold. So you take that silver and gold and want you to make crowns. It's in the plural. There's going to be two crowns, a silver and a gold crown. And I want you to set both of these crowns upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And you remember him, right? You remember Joshua, the high priest from a few weeks ago? You remember in chapter 3 how that he was the one that was dressed in the filthy garments and that Satan had grabbed and taken to the actual courtroom and throne room of God and said, this guy is unworthy to be that high priest. Look at him and look at his the filth that he's done in his life and says, look, he's unworthy. And you remember what the Lord said to him? I rebuke you, Satan. He said, I rebuke you, Satan. 
you, this one is a brand plucked from a fire. I want you to know something. I'm a brand plucked from the fire. How about you? I should have been there, but the word of God came and plucked me out of the fire from where I was supposed to go. And Satan all the time with everything I'm doing in my life is probably dragging me in that spiritual sense up there. But every time I pray and every time I say, Lord, forgive me for those things. What did we just sing in that last song? Like a fool, I've done a lot of things that I didn't mean to do and made a big mistake out of my life. Well, that, I, I told Eddie back there, I said, hey, they wrote a song about me. How did they know all that stuff about me? That was me. But then whenever the Word of God says, when I pray and I ask for forgiveness, he says, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And that's what the Lord said whenever Satan was bringing Joshua. He said, I rebuke you. He's in me, and he's done being cleansed, and he's been forgiven of that, and put on the new garment, put on his crown of the high priest, and he was made to be righteous again through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the story for you and I. So now they're putting these other two crowns upon him. You expected the one crown, the one that said holy unto God, because he was the high priest all the way down from the lineage of Aaron. But now there's a couple more crowns that they're going to put on his head. He's being told to take the offering of these men to make crowns and put him on his head. And you know what? I can understand one because one is going to represent the Lord our Savior as the high priest. And he is a priest and he's a high priest at the time. So I can understand the silver crown that they're making. But what about the gold crown? The gold crown he shouldn't wear because if you remember... What tribe were all of the priests from? Levi. They were the Levitical priesthood. So he was of the tribe of Levi. But ever since David, where is the king coming from? The tribe of Judah. The tribe that David from. We're going to see in a moment of scripture where God made a promise to David that said there will never be a time that, that your seed will not be sitting upon the throne in the coming days. So it was supposed to have been uh, Zerubbabel. You remember him from the next chapter, chapter 4 after that, when we talked about the two uh, olive trees and the bowls and stuff. You see, he was supposed to be the political leader. Why aren't you crowning him? No, because it's not going to be a split kingdom of the priesthood and the royalty anymore. It's all going to be under Jesus Christ. And Joshua, the high priest, is the one that's going to be that representative, that stand-in in this. Now I'm going to give you a little trivia. Do you remember when we were studying the book of Joshua, what the name Joshua meant in the Hebrew? Yeshua. Watch Yeshua in the New Testament Greek. Jesus. So he's a representation. Joshua is, means the Savior. Jesus means the Savior. It's just one language versus another in which it was translated in. So this is a representation also spiritually of our Lord that's coming. And so these guys came and they, they, they gave their offering and they made the crowns and they got ready to put them on him. Uh, there will be none other. In First Chronicles chapter 17, God told David, David wanted to build the temple for the Lord he wanted to build a house for the Lord he said I live in a house and it's a nice house why should I not 
uh, build my God a house. And the Lord through Nathan said, no, your son will be able to do that, but I'm not going to have you to do that. But then he said in, in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 17, he said, but I am going to honor you in this degree. That, and David said, how is it that the Lord is honoring me, just a servant in this high? Because Nathan told him that God was going to bless his house and that there would always be a king from his lineage that would sit upon the throne. And I will raise up your seed after you, in the days, in verse 11, when you have expired, you will go to be with your fathers, but I will raise up your seed after you. And after that, I will establish one upon your throne forevermore. And then that promised seed of David came about at the appointed time. At the time when the time was full and ripe, the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 30 and said to her, Fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God. And behold, you, you will conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. And you will call his name what? The Savior, Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give him the throne of who? His father David. So you see that promise that God made all the way back to David Almost 900 years before this, God watched over his word and at the appropriate time he kept it. And he said, this is the one that God talked about in those Old Testament scriptures that said that he's going to raise up a seed that's going to be on the throne from David. And he says, this is it. He, he will sit on the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Praise God. He keeps his promises. That's why I can rest assured on all the rest of the promises that he's keeping. Has that happened yet though? Have you seen him reigning over that at this time? Not on his throne he's not. That's not happened yet. Look at Acts chapter 2. And what Peter is saying after the Lord resurrected. And now they're, they're standing there before him. The, the Holy Spirit had came like a mighty rushing wind and they're all listening to this very first gospel sermon that's going out. And he says that uh, he swore, God swore to David in an oath that the fruit of his loins according to the flesh that God would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. But Jesus is now where does it say in verse 34? He's on the right hand of God. He says he's at the right hand of God and the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make your foes, your enemies, your footstool. So you see, he's still waiting for that time of that king crowning of the actual kingdom that he's going to establish. Right now, he is waiting until his foes become his footstool and the battle is won. And he tramples them out in the winepress of his wrath. And we, his body, the church, we look forward to that day when he will accomplish and fulfill all of those things that he's told us that he will. For Jesus is the promised one that was to come and to reign on the throne of his kingdom. Isaiah said it, chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, that for unto us, man, this sounds like a Christmas message almost, doesn't it? But this is the promise not only of the coming one who came the first time as that Lamb of God, 
but it's also the promised one that's coming as the lion the second time as king. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You see that right there is talking about both births. The one from the lineage of Mary. Unto us a child is born. She bore the son. But who gave him? God the Father. He gave his son for us. So that we might have everlasting life. So, but he gave up his son. But one day the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. A mighty God. The everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And in the increase of his government, there will be no end. And upon what? Throne of David. And upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and judgment from henceforth forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. There's coming a day when there's not going to be any more wars and rumors of war because he's going to stop all of that whenever he comes and takes the, the throne of the king. Of David, Then the prophet Jeremiah said it like this. Boy, we got two good ones coming in Jeremiah 10 chapters apart. In 23, he says, Behold, the days will come, says the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Now, if you got your Bible open, circle that word branch right now. I want you to remember that word. It's going to be key in a minute because I've already said it once and we didn't stop on it. But we're going to stop on it the next time. So the Lord says the day will come that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and he will be a king that will reign and prosper and execute judgment and justice in the earth. And in his days, when that time comes, Judah will be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. Did that day come yet? Has Israel not been under attack almost every day since it's been established as the kingdom of God and the people of God? I mean, it wasn't when Jesus was there because Rome still had it and they crucified him. It wasn't 30 years after that, 40 years after that, because 40 years after the crucifixion, what happened? His word that said, when they said, look at this beautiful temple and all the great stones, and Jesus said, there will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. You remember that? And in 70 AD, they threw it down and dispersed them all. So it has never happened yet that Judah is saved and Israel is dwelling safety. And this is his name. How do we know that it wasn't in 518 BC that we're talking about when Zechariah was was crowning Joshua because it says that in his days this one who is the branch from David his name will be called the Lord our righteousness so we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who is our righteousness but this day has never happened yet that these things take place the Lord our righteousness the Lord Jesus Christ in his day that branch will come Ten chapters later, if you're following along, Jeremiah 33, verse 14 says, Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord, that I will perform. You see, he's always performing his word and looking after. I will perform that good thing which I promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, so he's being very specific. This is a specific period. 
Will I cause who? The branch. Keep remembering that branch. I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith he will be called the Lord our righteousness. For thus saith the Lord, David will never what? Want a man upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priests and the Levites want a man to offer burnt offerings. Why? Because the one that's coming, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a king because of his lineage through David and being the son of God. But he's also after the order of Melchizedek, a higher order than the Levitical priesthood. He will be the priest that reigns from the seat of the king. It's combining both of those. There will never again want. They do not. There is no Levitical priesthood right now, is there? They are not offering those sacrifices over there. Most of those records were destroyed. People really cannot trace their lineage all the way back to Aaron at this time. But one can. One can trace his lineage all the way back through David. All the way back to Judah. All the way back to Abraham. And all the way back to who? Adam. He goes all the way back. One can trace his lineage. And we find that lineage in Matthew and in Luke of who our Lord is. And it says he will be the one who sits on the throne. And never again will Israel or the world uh, lack the priest of the Levites to offer up the offerings for, for the community. And he says that day's coming. That day's coming. And I think it's coming pretty soon. The way things seem. I may be wrong because I'm not a prophet. But it just sure looks like it to me. And so Jesus is our high priest and he's our king. And now what's revealed to us, let's take all of this that we've learned about that and let's go back to Zechariah 6 in our text again now. And it says in verse 10, look at it now. So when those guys from the captivity come, Heldai and Tobijah and Jediah, when they come from Babylon and take them the same day, go to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, Take the silver and gold and make the crowns. Set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is what? The branch. I thought Jeremiah 23 and 33 said that the branch was going to be the Lord our righteousness. So didn't I tell you in the beginning that he's a stand-in? That although that it was Joshua, the high priest of 518 B.C., he represents in a spiritual sense the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that those crowns will be set on him one time, symbolically. And then it says they're going to be hung in the temple when it's built. And they are going to be there for a memorial. And what is that memorial that's going to be there? The memorial is that if God said, I am going to build this, and also the one that I will send as my son, he in the future is also going to build one. And I'm going to set those crowns when you finish the first one. And my word is confirmed by building the first one. Know that those crowns hanging in there represents my son 
who is going to come again at the end of time to do that again and I will perform my word. And that's why these are going to be set there as a memorial for them. Kind of like one day I'm going to give you the lesson of Joseph's bones. You know what Joseph's bones represent? The only gospel that the children of Israel had for 400 years. The Bible wasn't written until Moses' time after they came out of Egypt, was it? But the only word of God, the only promise of God that they had for 400 years was when Joseph died. He said, the Lord will visit you again and he will take you from this place. And when he does, take my bones with you back home. And Moses, whenever they let him go, said, grab the bones of Joseph as we go. And they carried him for 40 years until they went and Joshua put those bones where they're supposed to be. And that was the only gospel that they had for 400 years. It's getting ready to happen for another 400, 500 years that the only gospel that they're going to have because after Malachi, there's going to be another 400 years of silence before Jesus comes on the scene. And the only gospel record that they're going to have is those crowns that are hanging in the temple that said God is going to fulfill his word and I am bringing the branch. Behold the man known as the branch, the righteousness who is going to take the throne of David. That is what this represents. And that first crown that he's going to make, what crown do you think that is? He's got a silver, right? Silver and gold. So he's going to make a silver crown. Oh, I want to tell you what I found out this week. I hope I don't, I hope it don't get hot up here and my eyes don't start sweating because it did whenever I wrote these things of how beautiful it is. Silver. I want to tell you about silver. You know what silver represents spiritually, Levitically? It represents the blood. It represents the blood of Jesus. Jesus was betrayed. You remember in Matthew 26. Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of what? Silver. It says he went to the chief priests. He was going to betray Jesus to him, And they wanted to know what will you give me for him. And they made a covenant. They made a covenant with him for 30 pieces of silver as the betrayal price of our Lord. Next chapter, Matthew 27. When Jesus was crucified, Jesus got that guilty feeling inside of him and he went back to the priests and he brought back those 30 pieces of silver and he said, I have sinned in that I have betrayed what? Innocent blood. I have betrayed innocent blood and I want to remove that from me by giving you this silver back. And the priest said in verse 6, it's not lawful for us to put these silver coins back into the treasury. See, they didn't want to take them so he threw them down and he went out and he hanged himself. And it says there, it's not lawful for us to put these silver coins back into the treasury because they are what? The price of blood. They were the price of blood, blood money, that was used, they used it then to buy the potter's field to bury the strangers in. And that field is called to this very day the field of blood, Asodoma. That fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah that said they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price that was valued of him, and gave them for the potter's field. That was the price of the Lord's blood money. Here's a little known trivia thing for you. In Exodus, and this is the part that made me kind of 
get hot. In Exodus 26, 27, 36, 38, all through that time, the word of the Lord was given to Moses on how to build the things of the tabernacle. You're going to make the curtains of this. You're going to make all the brazen altar. You're going to make all the things. Well, in those chapters, over and over, silver and gold was used for some things on the inside of the tabernacle to construct it. So, you know, all of the pose that went across and was covered in gold that the curtains hang down upon to make the walls of the tabernacle do you know what they put for those poles to run through to hold up everything they used silver sockets it says that it was silver sockets that held it up so you know what that means what was it that the house of God rested upon the blood of Christ. The house of God rested upon the symbolic nature of the blood of Christ. You know what? It still does. Because the church is the house of God. And look what it says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. To all of us and to my shepherds. It says this. Take heed therefore to yourselves first and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he purchased with what? His own blood. The church still rests upon the blood of Jesus Christ, the same way that it symbolically did back in that time. So, Zechariah, I want you to take what these guys are bringing you because they're after my heart with this. I want you to take that silver and I want you to take that gold and I want you to make two crowns, one for silver, one representing the Levitical priesthood and the blood of Christ and the other, his royalty. I want you to take that gold and make the crown of royalty, the crown of kingship for the throne of David. And in Revelation 19, when Jesus is claimed as bride, the church and we go to that marriage ceremony and the lamb finally says that she's made herself ready and it's the time. Verse 11 says that behold a white horse came down and he sat upon him. The one who sat upon the white horse was called faithful and true. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. Who's that? That's our Lord, isn't it? And it says his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were what? Many crowns. Well, I just read about two of them, didn't you? He's got a silver crown. He's got a gold crown that was made for him. And they're going to be hanging up there waiting for the time that he's going to come. And he's going to come and clothed at that time with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. We have no doubt about that because John 1 says that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And he came and became flesh and dwelt among us. So this could be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And his armies are going to follow after him on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Boy, that sounds like the, the bride of Christ that just got the robes, didn't it? Going to be following after him. And out of his mouth goes the sharp sword. What's the sword? Word of God. And it's going, with that, he will smite the nations and he will rule over them. Here's when he gets ready to rule. He's getting ready to rule over the nations with the rod of iron and he's going to tread the winepress of his wrath. I want to talk to you more about that next week. 
Next week, I want to talk about what all this is going to look like and stuff with what's going on in the world and things. I don't want you to miss it, and I want you to invite somebody to be here with it. They, they're going to need to hear this stuff. It's pertinent to our lives at this time. We have to be warned and ready. But as our praise team returns today, and I get ready to, to give this lesson to you, as we get ready to close, I want to tell you about the third crown because if you saw that, that slide I had up at the beginning, it said Zechariah 6, and it said the three crowns of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've got the silver and the gold crown, the priesthood and the kingly tribe. What was this third crown that was revealed in Zechariah 6 for us? I told you we've been skipping over some things to come back and to catch it. First one was the branch. This one is what it says right before that. Look at 11 and 12. You're going to take and make those two crowns and set upon the head of Joshua and then speak to him. Thus speaketh the Lord a host. Behold the man whose name is the branch. Take the silver and gold crowns and put them on him and said that this is the branch. Behold the man whose name is the branch. Ah, such a small reference with such a great meaning for you and I. Because when you go to John chapter 19, verse 1 through 5, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And it says that Pilate took Jesus and had him scourged. And you don't even want to know what that means. They took whips and they put bones and they put metal and they put glass and all kinds of stuff in that. And they ripped our Lord apart when they scourged him. The soldiers then, it said, platted a what? crown of thorns and placed it on his head and they put a purple robe on him and they began mocking him and they said hail the king of the Jews and then they smote him with their hands and Pilate went forth again and said to the priest and the officials and to all the people and he said behold I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him and then Jesus he came forth before them wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said what? Behold the man. What did Zechariah said with them other two crowns that was being said? Thus speaketh the Lord. Behold the man. The branch is who he will be. Before the Lord could put on the silver crown and the gold crown, he had to put on the crown of thorns. The cross had to come before the crown. If he became king first, then he wouldn't have died for us to be able to bring us along with him to his kingdom. He'd have been a king without a kingdom. But the cross had to come first. But you see, the Lord, that's what Paul tells about in the New Testament, the mystery Behold, I tell you, the mystery. A mystery is something that was not revealed until now. And he says, I speak to you of Christ and the church. Because this had to be hidden. If the devil knew that the cross and the crown of thorns, the crown of the cursing, was going to be the thing that saved you and I, he'd have never let him go there. He would have fought and not let it happen. But the cross had to come before the crown. And he, he said, so behold the man that was hidden among all of those things. Behold the man, the one who will be the branch.
the one who will soon wear the other two crowns. But he had to take on the crown of cursing for us first. Thank God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that for us. That you didn't take, you remember when Satan was tempting him at first and he was offering him all those things and I'll give you the kingdoms and I'll give you these things if you'll worship me. He wanted him to take the crown before the cross. He had no idea the cross was coming, but he wanted him to take those things now. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that yet because I've got to go to the cross. Why? Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ had to redeem you and I from the curse of the law. How did he do that? He was made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangs on the tree. And the crown of thorns represented that curse. What did it say in Genesis 3 when God was given the curse to Adam? And he says that the ground is cursed, remember, for your sake. And it will always bring up thorns and thistles among it. And by the sweat of your face will you eat the bread thereof. The thorns represent the curse. He became the curse for us. Because cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And that crown represented that. That why? That the blessing of Abraham might come to you and I. The Gentiles through Christ. Through him that we might receive that promise of the Spirit through faith. And that same scripture goes on down to verse 22. That says, but all the scripture hath concluded that all of us were under sin. And under that curse. But the promise by faith of Jesus Christ. And I want to let you know something. We are saved by grace through faith. And that what? Not of yourself. It was the gift of God. And not of works that, any, that no one may boast. We are saved first by the faith of Christ. Christ's faith that God was going to do the operation that he was on the cross for redemption. And that he would resurrect him into that new life. The faith of Christ first established the bar of faith. And then our faith in the work of Christ and his faith now is handed down to us. It says that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given then to them who believe. His faith to us when we have faith in him. But before faith came, we were still under the law. Shut up to the faith which would afterwards be revealed. And the law, all of these things that we're reading in Zechariah and all of the different passages were kept to bring us as our schoolmaster to Christ and see how would we know how precious all that was unless we just studied what we just did? Everything in the word of God points to one thing, Jesus. Every, every scripture. That we might be justified by faith through his faith. And after that, we become no longer under a schoolmaster. We are all then children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And as many of you as are baptized into Christ have then put him on in faith. And then if ye be Christ, ye are Abraham's seed, and now you are heirs according to that promise of God that he made. And one day, the one who wore the crown of thorns first will come back to claim the throne of David as the lion of the tribe of Judah. If you're here this day, and you've not named Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've not accepted his death, 
gift on the cross and that crown of thorns. Today's the day. Don't leave here without making that commitment and come on up this morning and we'll take care of it. And for the rest of us, isn't that a great lesson? Isn't that a great thing from the word of God of what he did with us and how he wore three crowns? Father, we just thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word that fills us with faith, Father, because your word said that if I did this in this time frame, then set that up as a memorial because I will establish it at the appropriate time. And so, Father, we hasten to. I read somewhere in your word in that New Testament that says that there's another special crown for us, those who are looking and hastening toward the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we look forward to that and we hasten that return. We pray that it happens. But, Father, until then, we will be your ambassadors in this world. And we will trust in you and we will take your word to those who are lost so that they might know Christ and to be able to come to him and to be a child of yours. And Father, we thank you for this message. I pray that the fellowship that we've had in your word, that the Holy Spirit would apply it to us and make it real. And I pray that we take it with us in our life, not only this day, but forever. In Jesus' name, amen.